0: One of the civic duties that is asked of all of us from time to time might also be among the most dreaded. I'm speaking, of course, about jury duty. I know just hearing those words can elicit groans from some uh, and think of sitting in waiting rooms and courtrooms. It can be a tedious experience only to have the case thrown out or you know settled or pleaded over lunch. I know that was the case from one of of my dad's experiences. Now, I personally have never been called for jury duty. Maybe it's because I move around so much and I keep the government off my scent. Um, But in the past week, this past week, I actually had a really interesting experience related to jury duty. I have a relative of mine who is a professor at St. Louis University Law School. And this past week, He invited numerous family members of ours, including myself, to an interesting experience. He asked us to participate in a mock jury selection for his law students. It was a really, really fun experience. Probably way more fun than actual jury duty itself. Uh, We got to watch young aspiring lawyers ask potential jurors questions. For the very first time, there were some blunders, there were some stumbles, a healthy amount of laughter when my relative had to interject for teaching moments, uh, some of which were quite basic and it was quite funny uh, to see some of these people actually kind of put through the ringer a little bit, kind of at, our, at, at their expense. It was, kind of, it was kind of fun to watch. And my, my relative, though, had asked me to wear my collar, uh, kind of as a way to throw the students for a loop a little bit. And I could tell kind of early on that they were a little bit tentative in asking me some of the questions. It was a a wrongful death case, this this mock trial that we were picking a jury for. And at one point, my relative, who was acting as the judge, he said, let's ask what the priest thinks, how about we? Um, Just trying to get me to get him involved a little bit. Uh, But at the end of the exercise we were all giving feedback. It was a really great conversation back and forth with a lot of my family members and some of our friends and these aspiring lawyers and my relative. And my relative asked me what it, it was kind of innocuous question, but I think had a lot of depth to it. He said, Father, are you comfortable standing in judgment in situations like this? I, I told him, I said, yes, yes, I, I am comfortable doing that. In fact, I did it for three and a half hours yesterday in the confessional as well. So I'm, I'm rather comfortable in, in, <laughs> in situations of judgment and standing in judgment over people. And brothers and sisters, in a way, this is a situation Jesus was thrown into today. He was given the first century Palestinian equivalent of jury duty. He was asked to render judgment... In the case of this woman caught in the very act of adultery. And at the onset, this is a case where Jesus might not be comfortable rendering judgment because he knows he is being put into a corner. Because the law required that this woman be stoned. And if he were to deviate from that, it would most certainly be used against him for his condemnation. But if he decides to go ahead with stoning this woman, it would seemingly undermine his entire mission of mercy, that he had come into this world and that he had been preaching for the better part of three years. And yet, contrary to our assumptions and certainly contrary to the assumptions of the Pharisees, Jesus is actually very comfortable asserting judgments in this position, it is, after all, his rightful place, Christ who will come to judge the living and the dead. So he, more than anyone else, should be in a position to judge the situation at hand. And in his authority, by exhibiting his authority, Jesus dispenses his authority by, disp- by doing two things. He uses justice, and he also uses mercy. Jesus, first of all, begins this interplay by saying, Let the one without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. Now notice, brothers and sisters, he doesn't say that this woman should not be stoned. This is a situation that, again, according to the law, would merit execution. And he is not objecting to that. It is the voice of justice, certainly at play, that there be consequences for sinful actions. Again, unfortunately, the man is not brought to this situation. And I know our Lord would certainly have much to say to the man in question. that says more about the Pharisees than anything else. Justice is giving someone what is owed to them. What is deserved to them. Especially in the eyes of the law. And yet that phrase, let the one who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, shows us so much more than just justice. St. Augustine, commentating on this passage, says what essentially Jesus is saying in those words is, yes, let the sinner be punished, but not by sinners. Let the law be carried into effect, but not by transgressors of the law. And that is why the Pharisees begin to walk away, one by one, Because for the very first time, their own worthiness of exacting judgment is being examined. Again, I think this passage also gives us an insight into who is the proper judge in a circumstance such as this. But also, what should be judged. Because if we cannot judge ourselves first, then we cannot possibly know how to judge others And this speaks to the fact, brothers and sisters, that we have to judge actions. We have to in this world, or else we do not know how to act. If we were to just simply go around and seeing so much evil in the world, we'd just say, well, who am I to judge? I don't know. know. I'm not going to judge that action. We We wouldn't have no idea of what is right and what is wrong. We have to judge actions, or else we do not know how to act. Again, it is good and it is a necessary thing for us to do, and that is certainly said, encompassed in that line, let the one who is without sin throw the first stone. But it is judging the heart, judging the intentions, the motives, and the soul that is a realm for God and God alone. And this is how our Lord brings mercy into this picture. Mercy is giving someone something when it is not deserved. Something good when it is not deserved. Charity when it is not, when it is not warranted. And Jesus dispenses mercy to this woman just as much as he gives her justice. And it is the mercy of Jesus that saves. You could say that our lane as human beings is judging actions and God's lane Is judging the heart. And of course, Jesus is both God and man, so he sort of has one foot in both lanes today one foot in justice, another foot in mercy. And so when Jesus looks up and sees that no one else is there, he asks the woman, Has no one condemned you? And she says, No, Lord. And then he replies, Neither do I, but go and from now on do not sin anymore. Jesus did not favor sin here. He didn't say, go and live your life however you want. Doesn't matter how great your sins are, I'll take care of you in the end. He absolutely did not say that. He said, do not sin anymore. That is a command from God Himself. But He did not condemn her to a horrendous death. Because we have a God who came to save what was lost rather than condemn it, to heal rather than to doom. The gentle mercy of Jesus is far greater than the worst of our sins. His justice is perfect, and his mercy is abundant. Brothers and sisters, Jesus isn't a judge, jury, and executioner. He is a loving Father who, yes, gives us children consequences for our misdeeds, but also the mercy to bring our hearts back to him. May we always judge with the heart of Jesus and not be afraid to call out wrong when we see it, but quick to offer clemency to the sinner and be comfortable in that seat of judgment in giving justice and mercy in equal measure.